Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. There's a pretty good crowd. In 2008, President Obama campaigned in Pennsylvania. He gave one of his most famous speeches of the year in Philadelphia. Thank you so much. Thank you, West Philly. And 12 years later, he's here to campaign for his former vice president in what many people consider to be the most important state in the election. I promise you this. We will not just win Pennsylvania. We will win this general election. And you and I together, we're going to change this country and change the world. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Holly Otterbein on the fight for Pennsylvania. Wisconsin, and we won Michigan, and we won Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is one of the three states that has been credited with helping elect President Trump in 2016, and he won this state by only 44,000 votes. It was part of the blue wall um, that came tumbling down that year. And that person was saying for months that there's no way that Donald Trump can break the blue wall, right? We didn't break it. We shattered that sucker. We shattered. And Biden has been trying to build back that wall. And Pennsylvania is seen really as even among those other states, which are Wisconsin and Michigan, as the most likely tipping state in the Electoral College. So if one state is likely to cast that determining electoral vote, it's the state of Pennsylvania. So a lot is at stake here. What is the state of the race right now in Pennsylvania? According to polling averages on 538, Biden is leading Trump in Pennsylvania by almost seven percentage points. But when you talk to Democrats and Republicans in the state, whether it be elected officials, activists, people working on the ground, they say they think the race is a lot tighter, but most think that Biden is still ahead. What is President Trump doing to try to keep the state red as Joe Biden pulls ahead of him there? I think part of Trump's problem is that his message has been kind of all over the place. Incredible to be back in Pennsylvania, the proud home of American independence, the American constitution, and American freedom. That's true, huh? What a history. Um, He's campaigned on... Biden being, quote-unquote, Sleepy Joe. He's shot, folks. I hate to tell you, he's shot. He's also campaigned on this idea that Biden is a, quote-unquote, tool of the far left and that he will usher in a socialist country. For years, the selfish and corrupt political class betrayed the people of Pennsylvania, you know that, and the people of our country. Career politicians like Joe Biden lied to you. I don't think he knew he was even lying. You want to know? Um, he's tried to appeal to suburban voters, particularly suburban women, by scaremongering about low-income people coming into um, their neighborhoods. So can I ask you to do me a favor? Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please. Please. I saved your damn neighborhood, okay? The other thing, I don't have that much time to be that nice. You know, I can do it, but I got to go quickly. 
We don't have time. They want me to be politically correct. Oh, Trump is looking to turn out even more pro-Trump voters in his pro-Trump strongholds than he did in 2016. So in places like Western Pennsylvania and Northeastern Pennsylvania, his campaign thinks that they can find even more voters that like him in those places than it did in 2016. And so that's why you see him appealing to the base so much um, and appealing less often to swing voters. What about Joe Biden? What is his strategy in Pennsylvania? Biden's campaign has been all about hammering Trump over his mishandling of the coronavirus pandemic. America deserves a president who understands what people are going through. You're facing real challenges right now, and the last thing you need is a president who exacerbates them. More than 210,000 are dead, as was pointed out. We lose anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people a day dead. In terms of the map, what Joe Biden's campaign wants to do is have high turnout out of Philadelphia, which is obviously a key Democratic area. It wants the same thing in the Philadelphia suburbs, maybe even higher turnout for Democrats in the Philadelphia suburbs than it got in 2016. It wants to tamp down Trump's victory in the western part of the state, which is a Trump stronghold. And it wants to flip some former um, Obama to Trump counties uh, in northeastern Pennsylvania, or at least just, again, tamp down Trump's victories there. So ensure that he doesn't win by as much as he did in 2016 or more. After my debate in Cleveland last week, I took a train from northeastern Ohio into Pittsburgh and Greensburg, Latrobe and Johnstown. And I heard the same stories. You're trying your best, but it never feels like enough. You're not looking for a handout. You're just looking for a fair shot. That's how my dad felt when we had to leave Scranton after there was no work and Cole died. He was in sales. He wasn't. So Biden was born, uh, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has heard before, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And he has made this a big part of his campaign. Um, he talks about it, you know, during his stump speech. My great grandfather was a, uh, I guess they tell me, the first Irish Catholic state senator ever elected in the state of Pennsylvania. And he was a mining engineer. And part of the goal there is to pull on the heartstrings, especially, I think, of those who live in northeastern Pennsylvania, which, again, is an area that was really important in the 2016 election. Um, several counties there flipped from voting for Obama to voting for Trump. President Obama is getting ready to speak tonight in Philadelphia on behalf of Joe Biden. It's his first big campaign appearance of the season, but it's also something he's no stranger to. He spoke there when he was running in 2008 and 2012. He did again campaigning for Hillary Clinton in 2016. What has his message been for Pennsylvania voters in the past, and what do you expect it to be this time? So this time around, we know that he is going to talk about the importance of making a plan to vote early and also that he's going to be speaking directly to black voters and specifically black men. In the past, I've been looking at some of the speeches in Philadelphia. He often invokes the history of the city. Philadelphia in this place where our founders forged the documents of freedom. In this place where they gave us the tools to perfect our union. 
um, and its importance um, in you know, the founding of the country to talk about these larger themes. Then I ask you to vote. If you want a president who shares our faith in America, who's lived that faith in America, who will finally shatter a glass ceiling and be a president for each and every one of us, then I'm asking you to work as hard as you can this one last day to elect, my fellow Americans, this fighter, this stateswoman, this mother, this grandmother, this patriot, our next president of the United States of America, Hillary Clinton. He did this in past speeches here um, while campaigning himself and also for others. And so I would not be surprised if we saw him play on those same themes, especially as Democrats really view this race as not a normal presidential election, but one that really is testing American democracy. Do you think Pennsylvania will decide the next president? Pennsylvania is seen by both parties as the most likely tipping point state in the election. And so I'm not going to make any predictions. Um, but the reason that you see Obama coming here again, this is this is the Democratic Party's best campaigner. And this is his first in-person campaign event. Why is that? It's because Pennsylvania is such an important state in the presidential election. Holly Otterbein. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me on. Also today, several states are setting up their own coronavirus vaccine reviews to combat safety concerns as the Trump administration faces criticism for politicizing the pandemic response. New York, California, Michigan, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., and possibly several others are in the early stages of creating independent panels to review vaccine data as it becomes available. State leaders say they're protecting their residents in case political pressure from the White House leads the FDA to approve a flawed vaccine, though it's not yet clear whether all of them would try to block distribution of a vaccine they deem unsafe or ineffective or just warn about potential problems. The review panels are facing criticism from both Republicans in Congress and nonpartisan health experts who say the move could undermine federal agencies and increase public hesitancy about a vaccine. And lawmakers from across the aisle are praising the Justice Department for hitting Google with a major antitrust lawsuit. On Tuesday, the DOJ and 11 Republican-led states filed a suit alleging the tech company has abused its command of the online search market to stifle competitors. The move's been lauded by both sides of the political spectrum, with support from progressive Democrats, populist Republicans, and even libertarian-leaning conservatives, showing how broad concern is over how much power Silicon Valley giants hold online. In a statement, Google called the DOJ's lawsuit deeply flawed, adding, quote, People use Google because they choose to, not because they're forced to or because they can't find alternatives. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Nerdcast, Women Rule, Politico Energy, Pulse Check, and a brand new podcast just launched today called Global Translations. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. The way to bring this country to its knees is to choke off our supply. 
Imagine for a second our globe as a series of supply chains. Food, everyday goods, and raw materials zooming across the world in a single day. But what if those global supply chains suddenly ground to a halt? It's not just about finding which vaccines work, it's about preparing the manufacturing and supply chains for those. And if one little detail in those supply chains goes wrong, we might not be getting vaccines to people when they desperately need them. The global pandemic showed us what it's like when we can't get the things we need. Masks, personal protective equipment, even toilet paper. There's simply not enough raw materials. We have to figure out how to get this right. There is a bigger story behind the scarcity. We need to fight back against China. A bigger picture with implications for our future. That's going to be a major challenge. On this season of Global Translations, where has globalization fallen short? And where do we go from here? The 90s called and their economics is not what we need now. I'm Louisa Savage. I've spent my career thinking about the global forces that shape our world. Join me and other journalists from Politico. A new season of Global Translations coming October 21st. Presented by City, a leading global bank. <laughs>